Tonight's Colors of the Dark is sponsored by the upcoming game Deceit 2. The in-between is a place of lost souls, mysterious forces, and of course, terrors. Many malicious beings call from the other side of the in-between's infinite horizon, satiated only on a feast of the primal emotions of fear, trust, anger, hope. As All Hallows' Eve draws near, the Game Masters conspires yet again to bring unwitting souls into this ritual deceit. Would you care to join? In Deceit 2, survivors will work together to escape the Game Master's twisted game. But be warned, two people in your party will be twisted by his whims, cursed to become terrors, and feed those that call from the other side. Can you escape the endless cycle of deceit and defeat the careful machinations of the Game Master? Download Deceit 2 now on Steam. Don't forget to follow Deceit on socials at Play Deceit for future updates, including the upcoming Halloween event. The Game Master is awaiting your presence at Millhaven Asylum. See you soon. In the summer of 1988, the terrified residents of a small Maryland town were held hostage by a madman. Soon, a rumor began to spread that the evil stalking local teens was not entirely human. The newspapers and police called him the Boogeyman. On Halloween night, the phantom killer claimed his fourth and final victim and left her body posed in a nearby cemetery. And then he disappeared without a trace. Now, almost 35 years later, the killings have begun again. The Boogeyman is back. Stephen King calls Richard Chismar's Becoming the Boogeyman a worthy and frightening sequel to Chasing the Boogeyman. Terrific storytelling. You won't be disappointed. Look for Becoming the Boogeyman in bookstores everywhere on October 10, if you dare. And welcome to Colors of the Dark. I'm your co-host, Rebecca McKendry. With me is Elric Kane. How you doing? It's October. You know how I'm doing. It is. Spooky, so spooky. We, we kicked off spooky season with some really fun stuff. Specifically, last weekend, we went to the Los Angeles Haunted Hayride together. Yeah. I, well, I had never been and I'd always heard about it and heard it was good and had a very different thing in my head. I had a farm in the middle of nowhere where you get on a truck back of a truck and you go past hay bales and things run at you. That's all I thought it would be. That was a little bit of what it was, but it was so much more like going to a true horror spook show, like where there's just like cool sets and cool mazes. And it really was much bigger than I was expecting. It was we, yeah. we had so much fun. Yeah, they. It, this one's in Griffith Park in Los Angeles, and they had like three different mazes. There was like a hellbilly maze. There was a mortuary. I can't remember the theme of the other one, but they were all really cool. Um, and then they had the actual hayride itself, which we did twice because yeah, we fun. thought it was so fun. Um, and then it was just general scary ambience and photo ops and things like that. And that was a blast. So if you do find yourself in Los Angeles this season, that was a really fun evening. What did we eat? And, Tell them all about what we ate. That's what oh, they God. really want to know. <laughs> They totally want to know what we ate. So Elric and I um, went to buy a funnel cake and they were like, oh, the funnel cake machine's broken. We don't have it. And so we were like, let's get street corn. And so we got street corn, which is like a delicacy here in L.A. And then we ate our street corn and then we decided to get lemonade because we needed something sweet. But then by that time, they had the funnel cake machine back up working. So we were like, fuck it. We're getting the funnel cake, too. And then. It was in for like street corn and a massive funnel cake. And then at that point, I did I no longer felt good. Funnel cake rules. 
<laughs> that was a really good funnel cake. It really was. No, and also, but it, it did make it the season. Like that particular one course made the whole season come into perfect crystallization for me. I'm eating funnel cake. I'm surrounded by creepy things and everyone's having a And we were watching that ridiculously drunk couple that seemed to be fighting with each other about who had to move out of whose space. Very it Kardashian. Was, it, was, it was great. Yeah. It was great. It was a good time. That was just it was a wild night across the board. Um, I also did Night of the Jack-O-Lanterns, which was really fun. That one is out in El Monte, which is right still in Los Angeles, um, just a little bit outside. And that was much more family friendly. I, you know, my kids absolutely loved it. My kids will love the Haunted Hayride. I think I'm going to take them to that one too, but that one's definitely scarier. Um, Night of the Jacks, it was all of these different pumpkins set up in art installations. They had all of these really elaborate carvings. They had a hay bale maze it was just a lot of fun so that was that was another really cool halloween event going on in la right now and in two weekends i'm headed to universal halloween horror nights i'm going on friday the 13th so i'm really excited about it and as you are listening to this today folks on friday i am currently at the lovecraft fest in portland oregon Um, So if you find yourself in the Portland, Oregon area this weekend, please come by and say hi. Um, I am the keynote speaker and the other guest of honor is Clay McLeo Chapman, who's been on our show before. He's coming to talk about his new super Lovecraftian uh, book, What Kind of Mother. They're showing glorious and um, they're showing suitable flesh, just a lot of kind of contemporary Lovecraft being screened there. And plus I get to hang out in Portland for a weekend. I'm pretty stoked. I like Portland. I I could live there. That's one of the only couple places in this country I think I I could live now but uh i have never been so i hop on a plane in like 24 hours there's like a little thing you can get on from the airport to the town like just it's kind of like a tram almost it's really cool Oh, that's good to know, because I was suddenly like, how do I get from airport? Because they they informed me ahead of time that their transpo person just got COVID. And they were like, we'll see what we can do, but you can get here, right? And I'm like, I can get an Uber, but okay, that's good. Yeah, to no, know. it's it's neat. And uh, I will be at the uh, New Beverly All Nighter on Saturday. So if you are there, come say hi uh, in between movies, because we'll be there from 2 p.m. to 2 a.m., which is very kind of them to move the hours. It used to be start at yeah. like six or seven at night and go all night. And I'd always run out of steam about three or four uh, where it's just like, eh, if I'm going to drive home. So this this one, I'm pretty set on finishing. So. Uh, and about it's that. still a couple of weeks away, but we are headed to the Knoxville Film Festival, the 19th. Knoxville the Horror Fest. Yeah. No, thank you. Knoxville Horror Film Festival. Um, We are headed there the 19th through 20th, 20th through 22nd, something like that. We're going to be there. I'm excited. And we're there. Um, Elric has to do like podcast double dip because he's got pure What's cinema a crossover, going as well. Which, yeah. do you know the last time that, cro- that crossover happened? Oh, well two weeks ago so i guess that's not two weeks idea. ago we crossed so over two yeah. weeks ago so i guess it's no big deal but anyway you just merge then you'll only have to do one podcast this is my, this is my dream we'll if just i just merge, merge all my things, the whole thing i only have to do it once i'm re- definitely running out of steam but that should be fun we are going to definitely be talking to fred decker hopefully we'll get to also record that for you guys as like a bonus or something um but we will also be doing something else and doing some trivia so yeah anyway we, it this is the month where 
it's funny. It's it's a dual sword when you're in this space because on the one hand, October is going to kick your ass. On the other, it's still your favorite time of the year. And so oh my God. I love doing yeah. all the crazy stuff. So yeah, I, I literally just texted Elric this morning and said, October's already kicking oh, yeah. my ass. No, it's-, it's literally been like four days and I have not stopped running yet, but I love everything that I'm doing. By the end of the month, I'm ready for it to be Christmas. I'm ready to sit around in fuzzy socks and not do anything. Yeah. But for this month, I will run towards every horror event happening. Yes, just so people know, we must love you because if it was up to me, I would literally stop podcasting after October 31st. I would not do anything until January. If it was up to me, I would just like stop all potting. I'd be like, I'm it's good till true. the Academy Awards and then I'll talk again. It's true. He's tried that before. Like, shouldn't <laughs> we take a month and a half off? And I'm like, nope, come on, we're doing this. We got Christmas hours to I talk I want to be about. like a bear. I want to like hibernate <laughs> and like put on lots of, and then just kind of chill for a bit. Anyway, I just saw a thing about bears. Um, so I was very excited. Anyway. Are you? Did you vote in the fat bears? Yeah, you know, that's what I was talking about. I watched the. I was going to say, yeah. you did watch he was the. So, okay. They were so cute. I love I get so into that yeah, every year now. And apparently there was scandal this year because somebody like figured out how to digitally stuff the ballot box and then huh. they had to go back and like unrig it. I mean, you can't cheat huh. with Fat Bear Week. Damn. It's a whole thing. Damn so. grizzly. Um, I know. For those people listening, I assume most people are aware of Fat Bear now, but um, some of the national parks in Alaska have this contest going where they take pictures of their bears when they fatten up for hibernation, and then you get to pick um, like who's going to be the fattest bear by the end. It's fun. It's adorable. It's all I good love spirit. Bears. I love bears. It's so cute. Um, um, anyway, so we watched a ton of really good stuff this week, so much that some of it I'm going to have to gloss over, but I think that we should start with no one will save you just because we have Brian Duffield coming on in a bit. So we're going to save a lot of the discussion, but I think we can say up front that Elric and I both fucking loved it. Yeah. I think it's worth saying. Cause I know when we do a show, anytime you're in this kind of publicity space, not that our show, I don't really view us that way because we, we get to pick who we bring on. So we're not, and yeah. people might not know this, but there's times where you have shows like this, where somebody's like asking you to do the publicity. This is somebody, we both watched this movie and instantly wrote to each other going, let's get Brian back because we both love this movie. I literally, yeah. the, night that we watched it i messaged him and was like we have to talk and yeah and it's a big swing and 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 what i do like is that it has been polarizing that some people will like it a lot and then the ending will polarize or something and it will i think that's a really good thing for a movie this big and that takes such wild swings because that it keeps the stuff exciting but i don't think we need Mm -hmm. to necessarily talk about except that we loved it go watch it we would recommend watching it prior to listening the second half of the show because there will be some spoilers but it's mostly just a really fun chat with um brian And the spoilers mostly come in. He was talking about how he filmed things or why he made specific decisions. And it's definitely best to kind of have seen it first, but it's an amazing movie. I guarantee it's going to be in most top 10 lists for this year from horror critics. So you should definitely check it out anyway. It's on Hulu. The only one I want to do before we get into the fun stuff that we have in common, I want to do this because it's taking care of past business. Me and you for two weeks were meant to see The Nun (laughs) 2 together we were and we couldn't and we were both wanted to go just to see a spooky movie in the theater without knowing expect much expectation but i Shit did kept coming up and my kids got covid yeah no there's a yeah. lot that kept coming out we couldn't see it so we did so i thought i wasn't going to get to see it and then it popped up on the expensive vod which i split with somebody so i, I can get like a half rate the expensive VOD. Well, I, it's, that's when a movie's not seven bucks but it's like 20 or whatever like in theater price because it's still in theater but because i can split it i could justify this so i watched it late last night uh and uh don't have much to say that's it 
moving on. <laughs> oh my God. It was it was exactly the same. Like like I thought I was feel quite. I thought oh this is gonna be a dirt. and I just felt exactly the same as I did in the first one in the sense of just like yeah it's okay it's like yeah but you, same the thing. first one is the highest grossing film in the Conjuring franchise. No, I'm wondering, I, I haven't even looked if this one overtook that. I, d- I doubt it. I mean, it, it's definitely, it's got a couple sequences that are really interesting. Okay, we, and I, this is the one thing I did want to say about it, because it's rare for me to say this about a movie, because usually I don't care. When we saw It Follows years ago, we walked out, the two of us and Dave Parker, and, and, and a lot of people still talk about this. I did have no problem with the rules in that film, had no problem that the rules might be a bit over, all over the place. I just loved the movie and was into it. None too. I have no fucking clue what the supernatural rules to this world and this movie are. It is so all over the place where at some point it's the Vladic uh, demon, you know, floating down the hole about to get you. Other times it's possessing a man. And when it's possessing a man, sometimes it pushes you down and doesn't finish you. But when it's a spirit, that's breaking your neck. And other times there's it's possessing multiple people at once. And other times it creates a crazy goat thing. That is probably one of the most interesting things in the movie is a Satan, Satan looking goat creature. But it also makes, I love my goat like creatures. it's cool, but it makes not a lick of fucking sense. And I really think this might be the most biggest mess on that front that I've seen in a long time for me personally, where I cared like and I truly don't care about this shit. Like when I watch a movie, I'm not thinking about scripts. I'm just going, hey, I want to be interesting. And then this one, I was like, wait, how is how can it do that? And why is it not doing this now? And why is it? So I, I felt that part didn't didn't work for me. I think the first one had a slightly better, especially the exteriors in the first one had better atmosphere, you know, had a almost a Fulci creepy like look to it. The first film, this one, not quite. It's uh, this one's set uh, a few years later. And now Tysa Farmiga, who was the, uh, the nun and the, the, the nice nun in the first one, she is now kind of relocated, kind of hiding out. And um, she gets word that, uh, the guy who kind of saved her in the first film is now teaching at some school and there's all these murders happening and we assume that this Valak is back. And, you know, then they have to kind of find their way all together to take it on. And there was one cool thing about like the eyes of a of a saint, um, a woman who was a saint once had lost her eyes. Some story about this and that if you could find these eyeballs, you can fight. I thought that was cool. I was like, oh, that's a cool idea. Um, it just... It felt exactly the same. And I, I unfortunately, and I don't want to throw, throw, you know, be too harsh, but the, this director also made The Last Conjuring and then also made The La Llorona. And I felt them all to be like, yeah, they have big moves and style, but it, they just feel kind of empty. And so I just personally, you know, it's still worth watching this kind of thing. Like once it's on normal VOD, watch it and you'll be entertained. And it probably is doing well. I just want to feel something a little bigger, a little different. I want to be surprised by something. And I did feel like I was just retreading the first film a little bit. But I think you will like the cool Satan ghost beast. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I, you kind of had me at goat beast. Yeah. Um, I mean, the scene that they showed with the magazines in the trailer mm-hmm. looked kind of cool. Um, but still looks looking cool, up the, yeah. Looking up the financials, it did not reach the peak that the first nun did, mm. but it still did well. So more nun in the future, I'm guessing. Yeah, like they are going to keep tapping that nun. That sounded bad, but yes. I would rather see I'd rather see it maybe a contemporary story of this, maybe now, instead of all the period stuff. Or or can we have Russell Crowe's 
uh, exorcist go after her come on <laughs> who wouldn't want to see that <laughs> russell crowe's exorcist i still love that I, movie. I did too i love him especially i think he's the best to get that movie you know you mentioned that i have yet to see a recent contemporary story of a nun and i mean mm. my kids are terrified of him we sent my i was just talking with brian duffield about this off air that i had sent my kids to catholic school for the first couple of years um when we got to LA because grandma was all like, they're going to Catholic school. It didn't last very long, but we did Catholic school for a couple of years and I'm not even remotely Catholic. And because our kids were not aware of what nuns were, they were terrified of them at a very young age. And I feel like there's a contemporary story there. Nuns nuns saved my life. So I'm a big fan of nuns. I I, I told you that story when I'm five years old. First time on a bus got dropped off in Hartford, Connecticut. And the bus driver said, get out. And I was literally a five-year-old in a massive city with no, I didn't even live in that city. I lived outside that city. And so I just walked into the city, looked around, and then I saw two nuns and went up to them and because they looked like people and they took me to the police station. It was kind of crazy. So here's to nuns. Maybe maybe we won't adapt that story. You know, the hospital here in Burbank is a Catholic hospital, St. I don't even St. Vincent's. And I just remember I had to have surgery there. And when I woke up from the surgery, there was a nun in the room. Hmm. And that was like a wait, what? And it because I had not seen a nun in that hospital up to that point. So it was, am I dying? Um, and then suddenly you realize, no, no, there are nurses there. But that was kind of my most recent. But, but you hit on something that is is key to this. And eventually, you know, once people start seeing the new exorcist, which I don't know if I haven't even decided if I want to see it or not, but part, oh. it's because of this. It's not because of the exorcist. It's because these these um, these ideas are not relevant right now. And so if you're going to yeah. make a movie in that space, you have to find a way to make it relevant to today. And most people don't bother. They're still coasting on the original exorcist coattails or movies from that period. But we've now had a thousand imitators and we also yeah. have a less devout society. So it's like, Unless you can find what is that sweet spot to to get into that world, don't don't do it because yeah, it just feels like a clone of a clone, unfortunately. So and you know, religious horror, this, by the way. So yeah, I haven't either. Um, religious horror just feels like such a hard nut to crack right now because we are so diverse, and religion has become kind of a a, a more lax thing. I Except mean, folkloric religions seem to be flying yeah. in terms of cinema. Like it's they're great to do isolated religious and gods and alternate gods but it seems like the big deity god um is tough to do now well on that i'm gonna briefly mention a short film that i watched this week that was so good because it definitely falls more into folk heart i bet you it's and welsh this, it is welsh it to me um, and i haven't watched it yet damn it i gotta it's watch it so good so this is from one of our listeners who sent elric and i a link to a short film because it's playing at beyond fest and we couldn't be at beyond fest that night so he sent me a link and i watched it's like 20 minutes long i watched it on the treadmill it was lovely um and this is by director craig williams and i can't pronounce this because i'm not welsh it's the worm of birch pin barris i am so sorry i'm so sorry if i just absolutely slaughtered that i got the worm um, I'm going to say Birch Pin Barris. I'm going to go with that. It is uh, The short is entirely in Welsh language, and it sets it up so that you think you're you're kind of following these kind of manly men. Um, they feel kind of thuggish. They feel like they've got some history. 
And they wake up one morning and they kind of all call each other and say, it's time. Okay, we have to do this. And you see them putting weapons in a duffel bag. And then they kidnap this guy and you think that it's a hit. And they're the guy's scared to death of him. He's tied up, he's duct taped, and you assume that they're driving him off somewhere to do a hit. And they get there and it goes full folk horror. Full folk. Ooh, I'm gonna watch, I might even watch it tonight yeah. just because uh I felt bad that I forgot. <laughs> so. Yeah. I I have no idea when this is gonna, you know, make it to the internets or anything. But I know it's, it's going probably, to festivals, yeah. Yeah, still doing festivals, but this it's a really tight short film. So thank you so much for sharing this with me, Craig. And I will make Elric watch it tonight. Well, let's okay. So we're gonna talk Beyond Fest. I'll I'll bring up one that I went to first and then we'll talk about one that you weren't there, but we both saw. But I watched. Yeah, which is exciting. So Beyond Fest, uh, obviously the LA event. We don't have uh, Fantastic Fest here. We don't have Sitges. We have Beyond Fest, which is uh, their equal of wild uh, cinema. And I hate not going, but this year it's a little further away because we're waiting <laughs> for the Egyptian to reopen. Um, but I got to see three things this weekend. And uh, first off, I got to see them. The still no distributor lined up, so we don't can't say when this will come out. The remake of Toxic Avenger by Macon Blair, who is a an actor who I really like, but also a director. Um, and it was pretty interesting. It was it was very. I had no expectations for it, no clue what you would even do with this because of the I haven't really watched trauma films in about twenty years. But when I did, I watched pretty much all of them when I was young. And Toxic's yeah, one of the most fun. Toxic's one of the most fun. So I didn't know how they'd do it. I think the casting of Peter Dinklage made it in, in, instantly like intriguing because he's such a good actor and he's complete opposite of how the original character, who was a high school you know nerd, uh, and it, he's like a single dad. Well, he's a single stepdad. So there's already some estrangement there. He's trying hard. He's like a cleaner at a toxic uh, kind of chemical plant type thing, which is pretty, it's a funny, fun twist. Kevin Bacon is the main CEO guy, which is really funny. And that's great. Yeah, it is really good cast. And Jacob Tremblay's the boy. And we all know he's been, you know, in a lot of good stuff. Uh, it's very funny. It has like a joke every five seconds. Like they they literally said, even when jokes aren't written on the set, if, if somebody had, we'd stop and say, anyone want to throw anything else in? They It is just a nonstop gag um, and gags upon gags. And so on that level, it did get the madcap feeling of Lloyd Kaufman and Troma. And I went with somebody who loves Lloyd Kaufman, especially not so much Troma, but just anything Lloyd did. And he said he liked it even more than I did. And he was like, yeah, no, totally true to that spirit. And it has some wild stuff. But basically, you know, Peter, I won't even say Peter Dinklage obviously becomes Toxie, but it's a very different kind of Toxie. And it's uh, and, you know, it's him and Kevin Bacon kind of going at it as the movie goes. And there are some really good gags. It comes from Legendary, which is the crazy thing about this that's a you know and when you're watching it you're like okay where's this gonna go because in a crowd it plays so great but i can't really imagine me having watched that at home in the same way that i did in the crowd so i don't know what its future is but i think it was split i saw a couple of our friends afterwards who it wasn't their vibe and then others who had the best night you know that they could possibly have so i i definitely think it's true to the spirit and i think that's all you can really ask for and we'll see where it ends up but um i had i had a good time it was a good way to launch something like beyond fest especially because it's just you know in the good spirit um but yeah that takes us to the one that the the thing i was most excited about about beyond fest was the fact that they were going to play the new film by damian rugna uh who made when terrified, yeah he made terrified the and scariest film the last few years and then the an amazing segment in satanic hispanic he has done no wrong he's from argentina and i knew nothing about this it just said when evil lurks and that's all i knew and so i went to it and then you watched it so you you take us uh, through it first then i'll jump in 
Yeah, I watched this on a screening link and I was jealous that Elric was getting to see it on the big screen, but I had already, I had something booked that night. You can't be too jealous. Elric got you a ticket. But you couldn't. I go. know, and uh, then I had something booked, and I couldn't use I it. Know. So he he took somebody else, and I was totally jealous. But that's okay because I had a screening link from Shutter ready to go. So I watched it on my computer, and I was wondering. I'd heard it's such a good big screen movie, and I was curious if it still sold. Yeah, it's still totally yeah, yeah. worked on my computer. Um, it was just this would be effective in any form. I got to be honest. This right now is contender for my fave film of the year. Yeah, it's um, my number. It, this this and um the hands one are the only two that are in that category for me right now. They're hands one. Uh, what's the one with the hand? The the thing with the hand. Oh, talk to me. Talk to me. They're the only two from me <laughs> this year. Like I love Evil Dead Rise and stuff, but the, these are the two movies that are at that top in their own kind I'd of tier. No one will. No one will save you. Oh well, sure. Yeah, that just yeah, me, we just but, came yeah. out to you. Um, but the setup of when Evil lurks is two guys are um kind of driving around. This is in rural Argentina, and they happen upon this just decimated body, and they're like, "Oh, it's a puma attack." And they're like, okay, well, where's he headed? And they find paperwork that show that he is a priest, that he was a religious man, and that he was headed to this particular house in town because he had business with them. And so they're like, look, we should at least go there and tell them that this priest that was coming to visit them is dead and was likely killed by a puma. And they arrive at this house and they find a mother, her young son, and then her older son, but her older son is in a bed. And he is possessed with what they call the rotten. And he is bloated and he is deformed and he's leaking things. And what they basically treat it as is he is possessed with some type of demon. And the demon is kind of growing inside him. And eventually he's going to kind of give birth to it. Like that's how they describe it is it is they treat it like a disease. And so it's very much that this priest was coming to the house to clean it, to act as a cleaner. It was, they were going to kill the son. Um, Cause that was exactly what the mom says is like, he was coming to kill my son. They're going to kill it. And then they clean the house. Well, these guys not knowing what to do with it. They're like, we have to get him the fuck out of here. We, this is going to contaminate the town. So they take the possessed dude with them and dump him. And then it starts spreading. Thinking, thinking that the just well, the interesting thing about this because every because even the priest, I don't know if it's an actual priest or if it's just a cl- a, cleanse, <laughs> a, a cleanser or yeah. something. And that's what was, yeah. I guess, like there are times where people do this in a movie, and it's what takes me out, which is basically almost set in a parallel world that has its own rules. Like they this, have their own yeah. folklore legends and rules about how to deal with these things. And and this is the be- one of the best jobs I've ever seen of creating a world in such short amount of time that yeah. as it goes, you buy everything in this world. It's so and good. they slowly present you with the, the societal rules of how you have to deal with this. And it's not possessed in the sense of how we think of possessed in like an exorcist film, because there is no like Christian component. No, that's not- they treat it very much like a disease. And because it can, it can contaminate your clothes. If an animal's around, it can contaminate the animal. If you're around it, if you touch any of the fluids, it can contaminate you. And it spreads like wildfire through the town. And then they set up these rules of like how you have to avoid it, what you need to do. Don't to have electricity. It. Don't, it's, it's very rural and very folkish in the way the rules apply. I think. And, and I love that they never get to the city, but you're, you're, you get to a town, you know, it's, it's just so. It's spreading. But the biggest thing that is, that will make me remember this film forever is how 
fucking brutal it is. Yeah. This is not a possession movie as in like woman tied to bed hurling insults while her eyes turn black. This is fucking brutal. That's the only thing I can say. Like there were jaw drop moments in the scene. I heard people walked out of the Beyond Fest screen. It's possible, but a lot of us there, you know, Beyond Fest because they're a bunch of sickos. <laughs> yeah. There's about two moments, one moment especially that I'll never forget because it's just so fucked up, but it but like a couple people cheer during those. And it's always quite funny to be watching a very serious, very nasty movie and because there's practical effects or something. People like give it a little shout out. It was pretty funny. But it, this is a very intense like I the, we were talking about afterwards, like Terrified's definitely the skin of the two and this but this is by far the more intense of the two and the mm-hmm. intensity is from freaking frame one to the last shot you are feeling a real intensity it, it's a tremendous movie that he, and more than anything I'd, i he was at the screening and was talking about the world building and i think he probably would love to continue in that world and that story i don't know if it'll happen but i hope so because it, I, it's i would watch a direct sequel you know tomorrow i would too he so could have told me this is going to pick up in a completely different town. Yeah. And I would have been like, cool, I'll watch that one as well. Let's do this. Yeah, it's... It was just such strong world building and the mythos, like the mythology of it was so great. good. And so the good news for everyone uh, is that this will be on Shutter at the very end of the month, but before Halloween. October 27th. Yeah. So pre-Halloween, you'll get to see this and just trust us if you're looking for that. Like, like it has a lot of the cool stuff that something like the sadness has, but the sadness is so nasty without necessarily the, the right world building. I like that movie, but this is like really good on the character side as well. So, yeah. so look out for When Evil Lurks. Great, great flick. Uh, and then the last one I saw just real quickly, and I, I know you, you might not have seen it, um, but you might have seen it early, early, was VHS 85. Uh, yeah, I did see it. Yeah, with a whole bunch of people. Uh, David Bruckner's back, Natasha Kermani, uh, Scott Derrickson has a short end. A guy I was unfamiliar yep. with, but Mike P. Nelson, um, I guess he did the remake uh, of Left Wrong Turn, um, mm-hmm. which we liked, and then uh, Gigi Sol Guerrero. So this you know the only only criticism i have of vhs movies is sometimes they're just a little too long because there's a lot of story this is there's a lot of movie in the movie and, yep. and i, I kind of felt maybe it's one short too long for its overall feel because a lot of them work really well together i like that this one didn't fuck around with like having to create uh a bullshit like through line story the through line story is actually one of my favorites it's bruckner and it's about this like weird alien kid that they're testing and it's really cool but it's treated a lot less like you needed to be paying attention to it as its own uh kind of uh bullshit connector that like where people are finding tapes it doesn't do any of that that was my favorite thing about this one is you know there's good shorts in every Mm -hmm. single one of them but what i always find taxing is the justification of why we're about to watch these tapes like i don't fucking need that at this point just cool they're five shorts from 1985 let's roll this um i don't need that justification anymore i hope they continue going with this franchise because i i'm always down for these yeah no and like there's usually i think this one actually had more hit rate than some of the other like in terms Mm -hmm. of having one or two i think almost all the stories had something really interesting in them there's a couple where i felt like oh maybe if it was about half as long or like half as much stuff happened but you know i I won't get into them because this is going to be out pretty darn soon i think on um shutter as well uh in the next few days even maybe or or maybe even this weekend but um they all had like some pretty amazing practical moments and a lot of them were embracing the old technologies to shoot them which i really respect i think this was the one that most felt like they were using old technologies and old video which i thought was really cool so uh definitely look out for that coming out but that was my uh little foray into beyond fest wish i could go to more but it was pretty far out yeah 
Um, okay, I'm going to quickly mention A Southern Haunting. This is a new one that just came out a couple of weeks ago. It is streaming on a bunch of platforms. Um, I think it's on, I can't even remember. It's it, like if you're a member of a couple of different platforms like Paramount Plus and things like that. I know it's streaming on a few. I paid like six bucks and rented it off Amazon. I had wanted to see this because it was something that I had heard the hype about because it was um, social impact horror. And it is about a post-Civil War African-American family that apparently this was an actual historical thing where after the Civil War, they would give um, African-American families plots of land and they would give them land so that they could start their family and, you know, have land. And so this family just after the war receives 40 acres of land. And, but then they get there and they realize that the land they're on is abandoned by Confederate troops. Like there were Confederate troops living there before they took the land. And then they realize why the land is abandoned. This one, it had some decent scares in it. I will say that there was some moments where things happened in the daytime where I assumed that you weren't supposed to see what was kind of making the scares in the daytime, but they had put in this digital mist in post. So anytime Mm -hmm. something scary was about to happen, it was predecessed by this mist. And it honestly, the mist pulled me out quite a bit um, because you always knew when something scary was coming because you saw this mist come in and then it was like, oh, and it kind of deflated the jump scares that I think probably existed before they, it felt like a note, like somebody was like, this isn't scary enough. We need mist. Mm. Um, But that said, there was some really good acting in this. The setup was nice. It was really contained because it was just this family of like five people on this farm. And not only are they dealing with the stuff that they're encountering in their own house, their neighbors, this is right post-war in the South. So their neighbors all hate them. They're scared that one of their neighbors is going to kill them. Like it just gets real intense. This had a lot to like in it. Again, the scares a little wonky for me, but the actual movie, the drama, the acting, the characters was great. So this one's directed by MJ Anderson and T Huff, who I was not familiar with before. It's put out by Vertical, good company. And so, yeah, this one is on Amazon now. Yeah, I, I watched oh. the new one on Amazon too. Did you ever see the, this one? I think came out of Fantas- Fantasia called My Animal. I heard of this. I didn't see Directed it. Directed by Jacqueline Kestel. Uh, this is Canadian. I, this, I really like the world. I really like the style um, of this film too. It's a, a young girl who is a teenage goalie, like for ice hockey in a very, in a snowy, small, isolated Canadian That's town. That's very Canadian. Yeah, and yeah. it's very isolated. And her dad is Stephen McCaddy from Pontypool, um, you know, and kind of coaching her. And she's she's very tomboyish and like just, you know, she just has an interesting style to her. And in the opening scene, she's sitting watching wrestling, um, which kind of excites her watching. I think it's woman's wrestling that she's watching and the moon is shining on her and she starts to change a bit. And she, when she's very young, she goes outside and she's clearly become something. You don't see what she's become, but she like ends up attacking her mother and her dad has to kind of tell her like, you know, you are different from other people. So she has to chain herself up and then it cuts to a few years later. And it's kind of a coming of age thing where clearly her dad and her are both a creature, uh, whether it's a werewolf exactly or something uh, at the start, you're not a hundred percent sure, but she has to, there's just certain things she has to do, but otherwise it's treated pretty normal. Like she's, it's just treated as background. Uh, And also she then develops a crush on this uh, ice skating uh, girl played by Amandla Stenberg, who's the lead uh, embodies bodies. And she's really good in this. And they just kind of, it's really just charting their relationship and some of the problems it's causing for her in the small town. 
and and her having to hide the thing she is from this newfound girl. I felt the only only negative I think is like kind of when it all wrapped up and ended. I I felt like if there was another like twenty minutes where it could really go crazy i would have loved that but but that's not to say i didn't i really like the way this was directed and i like the style of the whole movie in the world so um interesting worth worth checking out this one's called my animal nice um okay i'll take us to eight found dead because i really hmm. liked this i saw movie. the poster for that yeah eight found dead this was recommended off of <clears throat> excuse me Twitter. By the way, it's fall. I have allergies mm. again. This is great. I had to start Zyrtec. Go allergies. Um, so I'll apologize for the the clearing of my throat tonight. Um, Eight Found Deads. I've seen somebody post about this on Twitter recommending that I watch it. And so I did. I think this was like a couple buck rental off Amazon as well. Directed by Travis Green. And this was put out through Dark Skies. This is a real small film, like a cast of probably 10 people in total, but there was just something really charming about it and something really hilarious and uncomfortable through the whole thing. It's about a group of friends. There's like six of them who are supposed to spend the weekend at this Airbnb in Joshua Tree. I don't think they ever say Joshua Tree, but you get that it's it's Joshua Tree. And they start showing up two at a time. And what the movie does really well is it mixes up times. It disjoints itself. So in one scene, all these cops are investigating all these killings. And then in another scene, you see another couple showing up and another couple showing up. And you don't understand the timeline of when everybody is showing up. But as they're getting there, they are finding this older couple is already there. And it seems like the Airbnb has been double booked. And the older couple is like, show me your booking agreement and we'll leave. But there's no Wi-Fi and there's no reception. So they can't do that. And so they're like, you know what? We're just going to stay here till the rest of our friends will arrive. And one of our friends will surely have the booking agreement. And it gets weirder. And weirder and weirder until it gets just uncomfortable. And then the timeline starts to make sense that you're watching everything kind of in a mixed up order. I don't want to say any more than that because I thought this was just, it was fun. It was very much an indie film where it is small, 10 people, you know, one location for the most part. But the acting was really good. It was hilarious at moments. It was horribly uncomfortable at other moments. It just, it, it was a clever script in how it crafted itself to keep it escalating while staying in one environment. Mm. So that is Eight Found Dead. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, the, it looks very poppy, the poster. So I wasn't sure what yeah. the tone was. Um, the last one I saw was a very small movie, but, you know, worth mentioning and, and interesting. Again, especially if you're looking to make an indie feature, it was called The Ones You Didn't Burn, which is a good title, uh, directed by Elise Finnerty. And this is only 70 minutes, which sometimes is nice, like at the end of a night, you know, you can is fit this based in. on a book. I'm not sure. This one came up to, to Shudder. So it's on Shudder. Um, and it just opens with a guy who has struggled with addiction. He, his father has passed away. So he's returning home to, you know, the, the farm. And it's a very prominent farm. Uh, I can't remember where it's set. And um, his sister, who's way got way more put together, her life is waiting for him when he when he gets there. And they're they're a little strained. And but basically what you find out is that there's the these two women who are girls who are working on the farm and other people working on the farm kind of seem to really resent them because this farmland used to be owned by their people, which were it's intimated were probably uh, witches or people who were, uh, you know, treated like witches once upon a time. 
Not based on a book. I'm confusing it with the book, The Ones We Burn. Oh. This is <laughs> the called ones The Ones. I was like, I know I read a book called a that. Loose... The Ones We Burn is a book. This is The Ones We Didn't Burn, not based Interesting. On I wonder if there's any inspiration from that. But but it's, it, it, they're try- these, these, the girls are inviting them to parties and they're trying to get close. It's very indie, very micro. It's not about the visuals per se. There is an interesting atmosphere to it. It's, I would call it somewhat slight at times, but it's interesting and it's treated very realistically. And you kind of will get a sense of where it's heading at a certain point, but because it's involving, you know, which and what retribution for things uh, of the past, it's, it's interesting. And again, you know, sometimes you need a 70 minute movie at the end of the night. So that's the ones you didn't burn. I got two more that I will quickly Mm -hmm. mention. So I watched um, Malibu Horror Story. This one is doing a limited theatrical in a couple of weeks. I think on October 20th, it's doing a theatrical. This one's directed by Scott Sloan. I knew nothing about this film until I saw a couple of really positive reviews pop up. Mm -hmm. There was one on like Nightmare on Film Street did a really good review of it. Um, Dread Central had a really positive review of it. And then I was like, okay, I'm in. And both of the reviews, um, I'd read a couple, but they all said something to the point of, okay, the film has flaws. It's really small. It's really homespun. But there's something about the found footage quality that is really effective. And that is kind of my review as well. It's not a perfect film. There's parts of it that I did not think work at all. But that said, the found footage parts are really well done. The whole setup of this is that supposedly, and it's kind of this Blair Witchy setup, a group of kids back in 20 years ago or something, or I think it's only supposed to be five in the the movie, but a group of kids are playing around in a cave in Malibu and they completely disappear. And so a number of years later now, this group of kids is there making a documentary about them and they have been able to recover their SD card of the footage that they recorded on their camera their last night in that cave. So the movie kind of starts with them watching the found footage of the SD card from the night that they went missing. And it's awesome. Like it is terrifying. And then anytime we're not on that SD card, that SD card is all found footage. Anytime we're not on that, it becomes, um, uh, like third person omniscient, like normal filmmaking. Um, is it called an SD card? I can't even remember. I mean, it was, Whatever. it wasn't the, yeah. yeah, the memory card of your phone. Um, I'm dating myself probably. I don't know. I mean, SD card is what you shoot. Yeah. On video, but I don't know on your phone. What is that called? I don't know. I don't even remember, but yeah, it it wasn't, it was an actual camera, like a video camera. So I think it is an SD card. Um, so anyway, so they find the card, they're able to watch all of the footage that the people had recorded on their last night. So very kind of Blair witchy leads up, doesn't answer a lot. And then it goes back to the kids who are making the new documentary while they are in the cave investigating and it gets scarier from there. This has some really scary moments. There's some parts of it. It feels definitely like a smaller indie production. Like you can tell that there were some restraints on certain elements of it, but parts of it are great. So if you are a found footage junkie, this is definitely a good one for you. I have a feeling that the name is going to be a hiccup for a lot of people because I saw this popping up online already that since it's called Malibu Horror Story, as soon as most people, myself included, before I moved to LA, hear the word Malibu, you picture like Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian like having lunch at Nobu. Like it just- The it's, SNL it's, skit with all the blonde family going, how do you get the four and five to the five? It's like so- That's it. Yeah. And that's what you picture. And that is not what this is. This is 
Malibu, the majority of Malibu is a national park. Like it is a massive expanse of, of preserved park. And so that's what this is supposed to be as part of that wilderness, the caves around the beach system, things like that. And um, so it's not wealthy kids, but they're, they're wealthier kids. They do play that. What's, what I do have to applaud them on, um, I have said for, I always tell my film students, if you want to have news footage in your film, Hire a newscaster for a night. Hire a real newscaster to do your newscaster in your film because, or at least a newscaster student because they know how to read. They hired the actual KTLA people for this <laughs> and they have the real mayor of Malibu in it, which was pretty cool. Um, I had to Google. But to do they have but Dallas yeah. Rains? Because I love Dallas Rains. The weather is going to be great. Dallas Rains. He's the best <laughs> weatherman on earth. <laughs> I like Deliberate. I can't remember her last name, but Liberty. She used to do the weather. Okay. She's great. So anyways, um, so yeah, this one definitely uh, got some really good stuff to it. Heading to theaters in just a couple of weeks, doing a limited theatrical. The last one I will mention, this was a hesitant Turek recommendation. This one's on Netflix. And I say that because he was like, I don't know, but this feels like a you movie, Becca. So I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, and this is Killer Book Club. And again, I don't know if he was in love with this movie, but he said there's something interesting in it. And I feel like you would probably be more interested in it. So I decided to watch it based off that kind of weird recommendation. Um, this is on Netflix, Spanish film, but it is dubbed on Netflix, directed by Carlos Alonso Oja. I'm probably saying that last name horribly wrong. I apologize. Anyway, this has been getting some not so pleasant reviews. Hmm. And I get it. The first act of this was not my jam. But after the slasher part got started going, I really liked where it went with it. And it seems like it's got a really cool setup. It just fell into um, it felt very tropey at the beginning. I felt like a movie I'd seen before. But then that started making sense because it is clearly trying to be an early 2000s slasher. And you hear it immediately in the setup. It is a group of students who are currently taking a class. Um, they're all like film nerds or not film nerds. They're all literature nerds. They're in a, an English program in college. They're studying to be writers, but this particular group of students are all super into horror literature. So they have this, uh, book club that they formed that specifically reads horror books. Now they're currently in a class with a professor who hates horror fiction, talks about how it's the lowest form of fiction. So hate that guy. But then they've got their cool book club that they do where they talk about these horror books. And the horror book that they're reading this particular week is this one about a killer clown. Something happens with that professor and there is an accident and they all swear secrecy over what happened to that particular professor. But then suddenly somebody starts slashing them. I'll use it as a verb here. Somebody starts specifically picking them off one at a time dressed as this clown from that book cover that they were reading in their book club. And at the same time, somebody is posting these chapters on a blog about their deaths, like writing them as a book, writing their characters as a book and posting them online. And then it turns into a slasher as they're being picked off one at a time. The setup of this, including like the clothes, the hairstyles, like everything felt early 2000s slasher. Like it literally felt like I was watching um, Urban Legend 2 mm. because it did have that kind of like meta horror literature becoming real like Urban Legend did that with the horror film angle. It felt 
just like that to the point that I was like, I feel like I've seen this movie before, but then once it got going with the killer clown slasher angle, it got really interesting because then it definitely took on a, um, what was the name of the movie where the roommates killed somebody and they had to swear themselves to secrecy. I can't even the Danny Boyle film. Danny Boyle one. Shallow Grave. Shallow Grave. So it had that not as good as Shallow Grave. Yeah, Shallow Grave is great. That's a great film. Shallow Grave is great, but it had that edge to it of a group of people who are sworn to secrecy. And you know that one person is kind of breaking that and picking off the rest of the group because of it, but you don't know who it is. So that angle was really cool after it got going. Mm. So I'll say this one with hesitation because it's not, there were some, some iffy parts, but if you are into your early 2000 slashers, or you're just looking for a cool slasher in general, this one, it's on Netflix killer book club. Yes. I think Turek's right. That does sound like when you're describing plot, I'm like, yep, that does sound like a Becca story. It's totally, (laughs) as soon as he said that, I was like, and he explained the plot to me. I was like, yeah, that does sound like something I would love. And I loved that hook, the idea of the literature and it becoming meta and the the professor angle, like it just feels so early 2000s, but it really like it's just something I love and gravitate towards. Well, we are yeah. kicking off pretty well our October with lots of new new movies and lots of oh, exciting yeah. events. Uh, we will keep that train going with one of our uh, favorite movies of the year so far, A Conversation with Brian Duffield. Tonight's show is brought to you by Factor Meals. If there is one thing that has been getting me through classes being back in session and spooky season being in full swing for the past couple of weeks has been Factor Meals. I've been eating these things for lunch for the past couple of weeks and they are saving me so much time. With the busy fall season already in swing, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Too busy this fall to cook, but want to make sure you're eating well? With Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is just heat and enjoy and then get back to crushing your goals. Adjust your stride this autumn without missing a step. Choose from 34 plus weekly flavor pack, fresh, never frozen meals, ready to eat in just two minutes. Level up with Gourmet Plus options, prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. Too busy running around during the day to think about lunch? Keep your energy up with Lunch To Go. Effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. Looking for calorie conscious options during the busy season? Try delicious dietitian approved calorie smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. Need an extra boost to support your wellness goals and feel your best as you tackle a busy autumn? Try Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. Round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45 plus add-ons, including breakfast items like our delicious apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and potato bacon and egg breakfast skillet. 
Or for an easy wellness boost, try refreshing beverage options like cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making sustainable choices. We offset 100% of our delivery emissions, source 100% renewable electricity for our production sites and offices, and feature sustainably sourced seafood in our meals. This September, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes with no prep and no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash colors50. That is C-O-L-O-R-S-5-0. And use code colors50 to get 50% off. That's code colors50 at factormeals.com slash colors50 to get 50% off. Tonight's Colors of the Dark episode is sponsored by the amazing horror book, Don't Fear the Reaper. New York Times bestselling author Stephen Graham Jones is back with Don't Fear the Reaper, the heart-pounding sequel to My Heart is a Chainsaw. Don't Fear the Reaper kicks off December 12th, 2019, when Jade Daniels returns to her hometown, the Royal Lake City of Prufrock, the same day as convicted indigenous serial killer Dark Mill South escapes the town to complete his revenge killings. Now, you won't find a more hardcore 80s slasher film fan than Jade Daniels, but can she use her encyclopedic horror movie knowledge to survive when death knocks on her door again? Perfect for fans of true crime podcasts and horror films and the novel to read this spooky season. Don't Fear the Reaper by Stephen Graham Jones is out now and available wherever books are sold. I am excited to welcome back. Well, he has not been on Colors yet, I don't think, but he's been on uh, several of our prior shows. I am thrilled to welcome writer, director, producer, just awesome guy in general, Brian Duffield. How you doing? Good. How you guys doing? Doing well. It is awesome to see you again. Before. I've done podcasts with you. Yeah. I know. Well, Spontaneous was did. the one we were championing for a lot. Like, we loved Spontaneous. So yeah. I think we did. did. we do that one through Shockwaves? No, I, think, I think Spontaneous was around the pandemic, colors? right? It was pandemic. I just, I just go where I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> We've <laughs> had, this is Elric and mine's fifth fourth show now so we lose stretch we lose track as well so yeah that makes us sound like we're continually our shows are just canceled and we're trash we're just (laughs) trash we've also been doing this for almost 13 years now so it's 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 coming i don't want to age us but we're getting up there with this so um yeah but it is awesome to have you back in whatever form and yeah spontaneous was the one that we are previously championing but holy shit no one will save you is amazing and oh, it was it we we watched it last week and i can't wait to dive in on it but my kids would be really pissed if i didn't ask you about the skull island animated show we've been oh, watching cool. as well no my kids have absolutely loved that how did oh, that awesome. come about that's on netflix for our listeners yeah yeah my buddy jacob uh robinson was working with his company over at legendary and knew i was a big king kong nerd and it was like right before for the pandemic, it had come up as like, would you be interested in doing this? And I didn't say no. And then I can't remember if I said yes before the pandemic or right afterwards. But then it was great because I just wrote like I had a job in like April of 2020 um, nice. writing. And so um, it was great. It was really uh 
it's really like bizarrely complicated because of the legendary monster verse and how they sold aspects of it to different places. Um, so I don't know what's going on with it, but it was really, really cool and super fun. That sounds a lot like I I worked, I did the Hellraiser comics and the Cenobites had all been bought and sold by different companies. And so I was kind of, I was given a list of like, these are the ones you're allowed to talk about, (laughs) which was wild. And I I assume the same will go with the movie and the TV show and things like that because they've sold, they've divided it. Yeah, because it's like Warner's has the movies and then Apple has Monarch and Godzilla Huh. And then Skull Island itself is kind of like this weird public domain thing. And that, so it just got, it got really complicated in a way that I, so I don't know what the future of the show is, but it was really fun to do. And I, and there's a, I, I got hired to write two seasons. And so there's two seasons that are written and I think some of it recorded and everything. So I don't know what form season two will be him, but I, I don't know i have no idea so we'll see it we'll see what happens but i i had so much fun and i got to work with like the coolest actors i just really i was about to swear and then i was like i don't i can't remember if i'm allowed to swear or not fuck yes you can but, but even I'm when not, talking yeah. about a kid's cartoon that felt totally wrong, that felt wrong. <laughs> yeah, betty gilpin and and benjamin brad and may like it was like it was like it was really cool because I basically got to cast who I would cast if it was live action, um, and so that was really a, a treat too. But yeah, it was it was great. Like the animation company Powerhouse was rad as hell, um, and I got to do whatever I wanted, and uh, yeah, it was awesome. That's I really I really want to see some version of season two to happen because I do like the dumbest maybe funniest thing i have a i have a very wild episode in there that i kept expecting people to be like you can't do this um and then no one ever said it so <laughs> i'm like i really want it to happen that's Where- fantastic so that was actually being written during the pandemic yeah i wrote i wrote uh 16 episodes in 2020 so like when spontaneous came out i was i was writing episodes Oh, wow. That was such a huge year because you had it felt like everything was back to back where it was like underwater, spontaneous yeah. and love and monsters. Yeah, and under, remember- underwater was before right before the pandemic. That was one of the last movies that Elric and I saw yeah. in the theater. Yeah. I think the we last one we saw. <laughs> yeah, no, we saw Invisible Man was the last one. But I yeah. remember that we had gone and. I think Turek was with us. And we saw underwater, underwater for sure. Well, I think me and you started yeah. twice in theaters because twice. Well, yeah, I yep. mean, we just dug it, but yeah, we kept meaning to go. And then because we, we had our, our girl was one at the time and then they didn't have like a premiere because of some other drama that was going on. And then, um, and then we're like, we kind of like missed it. And I think it was still in theaters when COVID hit. And then we were kind of like, Oh shit. We never saw it. And then like I bought the um the Blu-ray and I was like, oh, we gotta watch it. And then we still have it. Because <laughs> it feels like it's like not like a relaxing experience to like watch something it's for some of us. Oh no, I just meant like for like the, <laughs> on, on this end of it. It's kind of like watching yourself take a shower. Uh, no, and I feel that like any yeah. of my own movies, like even this weekend, Glorious is playing at Lovecraft Fest and then they're oh, having right. me do like, awesome. like a Lovecraft talk back with it. 
anytime I watch one of my own movies, it's like listening to my own voice for an hour and a half. Like I, and even my husband who writes them, he has to be drunk to do it. He's like, I can't listen to my words. I can't listen to other people say my words. And it's like a whole thing. So yeah, I totally get yeah, it. Do you find, I remember I talked to Trachtenberg about it and it's like the thing where it never feels like the movies you make look like movies to you. No, I <laughs> always will see what I wanted it to because I yeah, mean and that, it's like it's also yeah I always yeah. just feel like I'm like they just gave me like a different camera yeah like I'll but see feel, again I know I know like I'll see the edges like where I had to crop in on a shot because you know oops there was a boom mic shadow and I had to crop in and it looks so much better before like you will always see I tell my students you're always going to see your scars and yeah. no one else does, but that's how you will always watch movies. Ulrich is getting ready to release uh, a feature. So well, yeah, I don't know if that's release. Comment. It's too indie to be even use the word release. <laughs> so, but it, oh, it but it's it? good, awesome. but it will be finished. That's the main thing. It's a, it's a feature. That is the main thing. Uh, yeah. The yeah. main thing is just doing, I, well, I, that kind of totally dovetails into the first thing I was really curious about with you because we got to know you initially as a writer through some of the stuff yeah. you'd written. And I wondered uh, of the projects you've written and of the ones you've directed, did you, which one did you know you were going to direct spontaneous when you set out to write it? Did you know with, they won't save you that the intention was, I want to be with this from start to end. And was that the case with yeah, others, yeah. but it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, no, for sure. For both of those, like that was always, the case and like I don't really write for other people anymore um because it's just awful well I wondered if part of directing came from like I always wanted to be a director or if it came from oh I don't like what people are how people translate doing with my yeah, movies I mean, yes but it it came from I always wanted to be a director and then I could make a living being a writer and then there were other projects that I had tried for a really long time to get going and they for you know for the myriad of reasons they just never quite hit that pre-production bump um and then spontaneous was the first one that made it over the line um and then other things i like i had sold other scripts that got made with kind of the excuse me the intention of oh, i'm gonna learn so much on this and then I, I i did a pilot with matt shackman and then that was really that was like the education one where I was just like, oh, Matt's fantastic. I see how he works with crew. Uh, like I was like, this is the kind of, and it, it wasn't like, a, I don't know how much I was learning so much. as just like seeing what I thought, how things should go in practice, which is rare or was rare in my career leading up to that moment. And then that was the experience where I was just like, oh, okay. Like I'm, I'm totally good to go. Um, and Matt's, Matt's the best. And then he coincidentally, he's uh he directed the the Apple Godzilla show. So we've oh, been nice. both like weird monsterverse buddies, even though we have nothing to do with each other. But it is interesting because your voice except that we're buddies. But your voice in all the like like we both really like underwater and obviously voice mm -hmm. you you hear it in characters and stuff obviously it's a yeah. slightly different film. But like Love of Monsters and Babysitter, you know, I still you can still identify a certain type of voice uh i like yeah. that little bit of an anarchist streak through all your films uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> i find that to be really interesting even though you didn't direct them whereas with spontaneous and uh they won't save you they you know you can really tell they've been crafted from start to end with a, a very clear vision yeah. in mind which so i just so those two you knew from the start was uh, so but you were never going to direct underwater that wasn't like on the cards really you knew that 
Yeah, no, that that because that was even more big. I think when I sold it, mm. um, and honestly, um, uh, the the people that bought it, they just paid a shitload of money. Yeah, <laughs> and so I was kind of like, I was kind of like, oh, I'm gonna get fired <laughs> really soon, but I, you know, I can. This is great. Um, so that that was kind of like I. And even like that, it wasn't like, um, I just don't think anyone would have let me direct it yeah. at that at that moment. I mean, Will, Will was coming off of really small movies at the time, so maybe that was wrong of me to think. Um, but yeah, I was just kind of like, this is too big and it's too good an idea. Like if I, if I sit on it, someone else is going to do it. And I remember at the time there were... I, it was like a string of things that sold that were kind of in that realm. Um, and I think that was partially why that one got made really fast because they were trying to be, like, I think Bradley Cooper was supposed to do something. Um, and so it worked out for, yeah. for me financially. <laughs> but um, but yeah, like it just felt like, like, unless it was like so specific a thing where I was like, oh, no one's going to think of this idea um you know i was like i could have selfishly sat on that but i was like by the time someone would give me however many millions of dollars to make it like no one will want to make it because Mm -hmm. there'll be like four other ocean floor kind of things plus there's potential to fail there's potential to fail big with such a big canvas on that and spontaneous seems like it gave you a chance to start to platform and try some really big swings on the new film technically right and the yeah, bigger you know, the film, right. I, I think about that a lot about like not ending my career as fast as possible. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, and so that was it too, where it was just like, if someone was stupid enough, I don't, I have no idea what the budget of underwater was at the end of the day. Like if someone was stupid enough to give me like 60 to 80 million or, or whatever it was for like my very first movie, um, like maybe that works out, but I, I wouldn't take that bet. Yeah. Like I was, I didn't take that bet. Like I was like, this would, even if someone was like, Oh, Brian should direct it. Like, I was like, what's wrong with you? Like, that would, <laughs> like I want to feel like when people are giving me money to make something that they feel like it's a smart decision. Yeah. Yeah. So, or at least as smart of a decision as it can be. But like, that would have been, I they would have been out of their minds. I think. Was so getting to no one will save you. Was that a, a silent film? Like, was it dialogue free from the script incarnation? I know a couple of the the script pages went viral, and it was that awesome was to read your work. That was annoying. It was beautiful. It popped up on Reddit, and then everybody was freaking out about it. No. Um, Ryan's people told us but, we're not allowed to bring up scripts. We're not allowed to bring up format. <laughs> Otherwise, it's our ass. They said, "Do not look them in the eye and talk format." I'm happy to talk about it. It was. It was annoying because for a couple of reasons, it was annoying because it's very spoilery firstly. And it was like, it was like the day the movie came out. Um, So that was annoying. And then it was annoying because there was no context to it because like the script is very normal until that page. Um, Or at least it looks like a normal script. And like part of it was in that moment, Caitlin Caitlin's character has been chased the whole movie and been successful the whole movie until that page. And then everything goes very wrong. And so it was like, that's, that felt like a very fun way to talk about paralysis and 
um, what she was going through in that moment. But it's like, you know, 70 pages in and then that page hits you and you're like, whoa. And then just like having it like out on Twitter or whatever. And then having like dumb indie directors being like, well, that's why I would pass on the script. I was like, you're never <laughs> going to get this fucking script. Um, I love when people are debating the format of a script. A script that got made. <laughs> that was my thing. I was like, this could be, have been written in my literal shit. Um, and uh, the fact that it got made yeah. would have mean that it worked. Like yeah. that's, that all the screenplay is is you want it to get made like i don't want to just write scripts for the blacklist like i want to make movies and so the fact that there's like professionals like debating like if that movie would get made or not i was like firstly it's out (laughs) (laughs) and like secondly it's very very close to what the scene is and i was like there's no debate you might think it's annoying but i was also i'm the director of it i was always the director of it like like it, I was, it was so stupid. But and there's well, been things like that all, the, all through history that people have taken crazy, you know, like the Lethal Weapon script or something. There's always something people do just, fun I things, do, you know. I know, I it, yeah, and I think too with writing, there's like this weird, really stupid, like Save the Cat, like a bunch of people got like really indoctrinated, really, and 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 then they they can't think about. Like I remember one of my the best scripts I ever read. Um, was a uh, Sleeping Beauty with that Emily Browning starred in years oh. ago, um, and it's it's incredible. But the script's like fifty pages long, hmm. um, and the movie's not. But it's like every so- shot of the movies in the script, and it's like such an amazing screenplay. And I remember people being like, you know, uh, you know, less than a TV ep- like being like all snooty about it. I'm just like this. I read that and I saw the movie. And then I saw the movie and I was like, yeah, that was the movie that I thought I was going to see when I read that script. Is that the one where the girls go to sleep and sleep with like men pay for the, yeah, I, yeah it's, yeah. you have to, you have to, um, there's so much empty space and quiet moments. You have to let the scene yeah. sit, which, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a really powerful, cool movie. And I remember being so excited to see the movie after having read the script. Um, and uh, and then I just remember people bitching about it because it was on the blacklist. Yeah. Um, and then just being like, well, firstly, the director wrote it. And secondly, if I was Emily, everything I need to know is in this and it's an amazing character. And then if I'm the crew, everything I need to know is in this about how I need to work on this movie. And I was just like, why, do, why are we, what are we talking about? Like, it's it, it does all the jobs it needs to do. Um, if it makes you feel better, my college students rolled into class the morning after it had been leaked out and they were like, did you read it? That's amazing. And they were so <laughs> inspired by it because they've been taught, you know, the proper formatting. And then, I mean, we actually teach like how you violate it. You know, why do you pick particular yeah, words I mean, to put in bold or change the font? Like, how do you give emphasis to things? without writing pages of descriptors and yeah. so to see that and how it successfully sold i think it, yeah i think it'd be really annoying if that was every page of the script mm-hmm. but it was one page of the script and it was a long time in where you're like oh yeah Bryn's really kicking ass and and winning um and then when she stops winning that's when you 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 do that and i've i've done it two other times in in movies it was uh in babysitter was the what the fuck page um 
And then in Spontaneous, when um, uh, a, a main character died, mm-hmm. uh, the only words on the screen were, or the only words on the page were like, this screen is red. And then like, it was all nothing else. Cause I was like, you, that's a slap in the face page. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, I get annoyed. Cause sometimes I think people are like, that's all he does. And I'm like, it's like <laughs> literally three pages out of the thousands of pages I've written. Been. So all you do well, is get movies made. That's all you do. That's, he gets it, movies that's made. it. That's all you do. <laughs> well, back to the question. Yeah. Had it been something that you saw as kind of without dialogue from its in I knew it would be its beginning. I knew it would be sparse. Um, because she's I like that was an intention of mine where I really wanted to be like lean and mean. Um, and like spontaneous had so much talking and bantering. Um that I was like, I would really love to do something that's just like really hard. Not like like as in a challenge, but just like it's just like this is the information. That's like one person who's typically by herself. And then I knew um up until like when she goes to the police station and like bad things happen there, like I knew what was gonna happen there. And then I realized um in writing it like she says like i like she gets like an eye out before she gets kind of uh attacked um and then that was like in final draft that was like when i did it like it didn't autofill bryn like so i was like oh that's the first time i've written her name as like a oh, speaker that's funny and then i was like oh i can see this through like she's basically going back home in a few pages anyway uh <laughs> so then it was that was kind of like a fun little like oh like yeah like um what's the most challenging to write uh in terms of was it the because I, th- I think those parts took me I, I like as a viewer i had to focus more on the backstory stuff as it's unfolding yeah. knowing at, at a certain point when you start catching on to the rhythm of the film you're like okay is that her sister is that her friend like little things like right. that more than once the alien stuff you really don't need dialogue at all like you truly don't right. it's it's yeah. intuitive in that sense yeah, and they're talking the whole fucking time. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Which was also part of it where it was like, I really like the idea of them talking and like nonstop at, at her and her just not having any idea what they were saying. Um, but but yeah, it was that that was interesting in post because we would like show people the movie and they would just like go off on these like crazy adventures like we had like one test and it was the weirdest thing and it was like a bunch of people said they like hated a really specific scene like someone was like i hated that moment and a couple people like yeah that moment was fucking awful and then i remember being with gabe my editor and and steve like the studio head we were all looking at each other and being like of no idea what they're talking about like that scene's not (laughs) in the movie and they had all been like so convinced that like somehow like we're putting pieces together that it like in their brains it like formed a scene that never happened. Um hmm. and then we were like like part of our job after the test screen was like how to edit out a scene that never existed. And we were like, what is causing people to like put put math together where in their brains it was like it was like it was like it was like Caitlin being like aggressive to another person. That wasn't like possessed or anything and it was like never something we shot never happened like caitlin doesn't even look sideways at people and they were just like we really were upset when caitlin like lashed out at i can't remember who even who it was and we were just like i don't know how to cut that out because it doesn't 
Yeah. People would go on these like um these uh tangents. Like it's funny, there's like a grave at the start of the movie that was mm-hmm. like her mom's grave. And like on the original headstone, it was like mother to Bryn, wife to Hugh. Um and didn't think much of it. And then the whole like we showed people and like they were and part of it's probably misogyny um but like people were like where the fuck was Hugh at the end like we all thought her dad was going to come in and just start blowing aliens away and save the day because it says like his grave's not there and it says wife to Hugh so we know she has a dad so we had to like CG out that and then never came up again Mm. Um, but it's like stuff like that where you were like I don't know like people were paying attention to things and then their minds were filling in story details. And then even if things happened that refuted that detail, like they were kind of like, well, this is what the movie is. Like, why is it telling me that it's not? So it was a lot of weird stuff like that, where we were like changing things that weren't in the movie or, or trying to be like, Oh, we have to like eliminate all mention of dad, mm-hmm. like take out his picture, like all these different things because people were just like, He's coming back and he's going to kick ass. <laughs> I mean, no, that is super interesting to think if you remove yeah. exposition, right? Like you're still getting yeah. details, uh, but it's interesting to see how the brain goes. Because I know like if you watch the start of uh, Rear Window, I show that to students, the first little part, because everything you need to know yeah. is in it, purely visual. But then the next scene, they say everything on a phone call, everything. And it's terrible. That scene's terrible. But and I, I actually read Hitchcock say, oh, I know how to do pure cinema. I know I can do it anytime. But I wanted to make sure every single person was on this ride. And I always thought that was a bit of a bummer because you didn't need it. Maybe 9.5 no. out of 10 people will get it, you know? I don't know about that. Process. Yeah. Like, because yeah. that's actually an assignment that I do in my intro to directing class where I call it a character without a character where they have to, and that's like their yeah. third assignment in my class. They have to show a room and build a story without ever showing a person. And I always show them the opening of Rear Window because it does that so well. And then at the end, I'm like, tell me everything about this. And usually they'll get, he's a photographer and they'll get the broken leg. They'll get that it's hot outside. Race cars, like the, the kind of other stuff, like they will get those three, but then they miss some other stuff in there. Um, the portrait of the girl, like there's minor things that get missed every single time. Yeah, it's cool. Like I like there have been people that have rewatched the movie, my movie, uh, and and have gone like it's all there. Like I, it's like this guy's in the scene. Like I'm like, well, yeah. Like it's like, you know, it's like you don't want to like hang too much of a lantern on everything. Mm-hmm. But like sometimes just you're you know you're passively watching something until it like gets its claws into you. Um, but it is funny how like opening scenes and movies people are like oh wait until it gets me and then and then it's like the rear window thing like you watch it a second time you're like there's everything i needed to know yeah and they're not even being like cutesy about it they're just kind of like you should be paying attention because it's a movie (laughs) and it's like here's things we're looking at yeah exactly where did you guys shoot this because it felt like you owned the town for part of it like it was a really like a block. little yeah. town oh, okay it, it <laughs> yeah. felt like i mean her house the production design was amazing yeah. in that house like that was just a ridiculous like you got so much character just from the birdhouses and the yeah, hearts hanging that was up. all ramsey no yeah. yeah we shot in louisiana and um the house was a real house but it had been 
pretty badly damaged in one of the hurricanes. So the dude who lived there got like such a sweet deal because Ramsey Avery, our production designer, um, he's done everything. He did. He did rings of. He came off rings of power and did this, and then. But he'd also done like AI Minority Report as an art director. Mm-hmm. Um, like he like prettied up the dude's house, <laughs> but like also repaired it, and then um the inside of the house is all on a stage mm. and then and then yeah when that little bit of town is like it's like a block i can't remember what the town's name was right now um and then but it's like a really small really small town so we shot there for like two days or something and then um all the other little bits are just kind of you know like nearby everything else I love her, yeah. the spirit of the character. I think that's when, you know, when you get into a movie, I, I knew I'd enjoy an alien film and I like you, all your films so far, but it was like, there was something in the first few minutes about her doing the dance steps and yeah. and, and then figuring out that this is an isolated character comes from tragic past, but still this is her approach to life. And I thought that that was yeah. very, that felt very original. Um, oh, cool. Just nowadays yeah. to me, you know, it just was something I was excited to watch. Yeah, it was that's something I talked to with Deaver a lot where it was like, and, and to the like Ramsey and everybody, it was just like she's there's obviously, you know, because I think sometimes there's a lot of trauma porn, mm-hmm. especially in horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of means everyone's miserable and screaming at each other. Um, and I was like, she's got heavy shit, but so much of the movie is about her trying to make the best of it. Um, and I was like, I want her to like, it's like kind of it's pretty sad like a lot of the things she's doing but she is not sad doing it um like she's not like woe is me doing like her little one person dance um like she's like yeah this is nice i am enjoying this um like when she's cooking dinner and stuff it was so that was really important that it was like okay like you clearly there is a troubled life and a troubled story here but you are you know you're like, well, I don't want to kill myself. Yeah. And I have no one to vent to. So I, you know, I'm probably going to live until I'm 80 years old in this house. So I have to make the best of it. Um, which is very thematic, especially with like the end of the movie and and everything. But that was something really important to, especially to Caitlin, because I think she really didn't want to do just this like mopey asshole Be- yeah. becca knows my favorite character one of my favorite characters in all of movies maud from Har- harold and maud and you know she's like this bubbly yeah. person and at some point you'd see her wrist and realize she was you know in a hall and a uh you know german prison at some point you right. know so so i think there's a little bit of a kernel of that type of a person a person who just knows mm-hmm. i i'm i'm okay with me and being around me you know? yeah like i think i think for, for brin she knows nothing will ever be as bad as that day mm. And, um, but she also knows how young she is. And so then it's just like, well, what do you do with that time? Um, and so that felt like for a while there was, um, no aliens. And I was, I just had that character and I was trying to figure out what to do with that character. Um, but I don't think I'm like a very, I probably am not like a very adept, like Sundance drama guy. Um, and so then I eventually I was like, well, let's just put some aliens on here. Be done. But that's what makes you a great horror director is it starts with the character and then suddenly you're right. like, I, I should I get, put some aliens in this. Yeah, it's like uh, instead of her going to the therapist, well, if she got tortured by aliens. Let's just have aliens. Let's talk about the aliens. Okay, so you made aliens scary again, which has been something that people oh, cool. have been 
really i mean nobody has really tried like we have not had scary aliens in a long time the last one i can remember was um the blumhouse film dark skies like that one i felt like made scary aliens that's the Kurt russell one right yeah Yeah. like they but they treat the aliens in it it's more like a haunted house and the aliens are more psychological there's like one shot of the aliens right at the end yeah yeah Yeah. otherwise it's all them kind of like it's a miserable fucking ending yeah, it is. It is a completely miserable ending. I, that came out when I was working at Blumhouse, and I remember championing the film, and it did not get much press. And I was like, I remember, I remember, because I worked psychological. With yeah, I remember because I worked with Carrie like right before going into this, and I don't think we ever talked about it. But I just remember like the trailer of her like slamming her head hmm. on the on the on the glass, and then I remember when I saw the movie years before that like uh the what happens at the end and just being like oh god like feeling awful leaving the theater yeah. in like a, in like a great horror way it's like, a bleak like, oh geez but like, without god. really revealing too much about the movie like how yeah. did you you know kind of say what do we need to do to make them scary again because even the concept of the gray has kind of you know is campy i think it's been um, a couple of weeks i think we could be more spoilery now i think yeah. we'll, we'll, okay. we'll tell people at the top of the show i think to go watch it first knows. we'll say go watch the everybody movie knows <laughs> it's aliens so how did you kind Everyone of knows, think yeah. about you know how do i take this kind of campy gray that is on you know every kid's toy in the world and make it creepy again I think exactly that reason because it felt so underutilized as a horror figure. I think partially because of finance finances, like it's tough to pull off a gray doing much, you know, on an indie budget. Like you do kind of need a little bit more like the 20th century size budget. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also it just felt like like there was like a little hesitation from the studio. I think even though it was written as grays and everything and it was just like kind of a lot of like are you sure you want to do that and i was like absolutely because it's like for so many reasons but i I, i've said it's kind of like if like they made like a 10 dinosaur movies a year and none of them had the t-rex because they just were like oh it's been done Mm -hmm. and it's like firstly it hasn't um like there there hasn't been like a great gray horror movie since Fire in the sky, communion. Which is like, yeah, but it's like yeah. even that, like the kind of I love, I love that scene. But it's like part of the joke of the scene is it's like, oh, they're suits, you know. I, like, I rewatched like the suit they wear. Um, I rewatched Fire in the Sky for our Patreon show a couple of months ago, and I legit it was still like you know two hour drama and then 10 minutes of nightmare fuel at the end but i cackled in one part that i'd never caught when i was a kid where literally the gray turns and looks at him like he's fighting and the gray turns and looks at him and it lowers its eyebrows like it scowls at him but it doesn't have eyebrows but like it's making it like yeah it like grimaces at him and i'm like oh that gray is pissed (laughs) and yeah yeah, it it wasn't i love those puppets and everything um but yeah, it just felt so underutilized. And then also it was because I knew the alien was going to be seen pretty well five minutes in. Um, I really wanted there to be a design where as soon as Caitlin's character saw it and the audience saw it, you're just kind of like, I know exactly what I'm looking at. And like, you're you're not thinking like, oh, it's, you know, it's like, it's like right if it was if it was like the the aliens from like District Nine in that opening scene. Like I think it would 
there'd be a lot of debate among people about what it was. Like, is mm-hmm. it like a mutant? Is it this? And I was like, let's just have it be really clear that it's an alien and it's a gray. And then you get to build on in the scene, like, oh, it has new abilities. It has new things to kind of discover. And then, and then what happens in the first act happens in the first act. And then you kind of are like, okay, so where's this movie going now? And then you kind of, I knew I wanted like different subspecies. Um, and I felt like, oh, if it was like a really weird design from the get-go, like every design would be weird and it would just feel random as opposed to if you start off with the emoji, um, like you could have fun with stretching it out and, and doing weird shit to it. Mm-hmm. And then also, yeah, just the fact that I was like, yeah, it's an emoji. Let's make it scary. <laughs> like, I don't know. How did you shoot those? Because I'm assuming that your your grays are quite well CG, which is always everyone's fear with aliens is you know yeah. you're going to have to CG it. And then it's kind of like yeah. you know, you're handing yourself to fate of how you're going to be feeling yeah. in post. Um, but how did you shoot that? Because there is so much interaction between Caitlin and the the grays. Yeah, it, it all see not all. It's like ninety nine percent CG. There's a couple shots where it's it's a puppet, and you and you can I think tell when it, when those shots are. Um, but um, it was like doing a pass with like a dude in a blue suit, and then doing a pass without the dude in a blue suit, and then when Caitlin had to like physically interact with it, she would just have to act like she was physically interacting so there's like a scene where like an alien falls on top of her um and i don't remember which scene is it what shot is in the movie whether it's like stunt guy falling on top of her or whether it's caitlin acting like like a 150 pound man fell on top of her but they were both pretty identical and and i think that's one of the uh many talents of 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 caitlin is that she could if you're like okay like just pretend like a guy collapses on top of you and she could do it and you're like yeah like, <laughs> i couldn't do that but like you can you're not you're you're one of the best actors alive it makes sense <laughs> what had you seen her in before that kind of made you say this because i'd seen last men oh, standing yeah. but i wasn't as familiar with some of her other stuff i think partially because she hadn't done genre mm-hmm. that would made it really appealing to me because even talent, insane talent aside, just, you know, I I, I think, and I, I love Daisy Ridley, um, but I was like, if it's an actor that you've seen kill a bunch of aliens or have superpowers, there's just something that you go, well, I've seen her get out of this shit before. Um, you know, like the, the Elizabeth Olsen version, you're just waiting for the Scarlet Witch hands kind of no matter like even just subconsciously and the fact that caitlin hadn't really done genre before was really exciting to me and then it was also really exciting to her because i think she had been really wanting to scratch that itch and then uh i mean i the first thing i remember seeing her in was short term 12 which is like you know this bizarro explosion of like every amazing young actors in that one single movie um and it's it's crazy how it's like John Gallagher, Brie Larson, Lakeith, Caitlin, Rami Malek, like all these like um, kids. Uh, And then it just has, everyone's so huge now. Um, And then um, I, and then I loved her and everything. And then really she knocked me out with Unbelievable on Netflix. Um, 
I thought she was just insane in that. Uh, and yeah. And then just when she was like down to want to do this, I was like, oh, this is going to be the easiest shoot. <laughs> Cause she's so, she's so talented and so lovely as a person. You're just kind of like, oh, this is like, everything else is really hard, but Caitlin, you're just like, well, yeah, like yeah. she's going to be great and I don't have to do much. Um, and I really like, it was like, you know, I don't like take away all the credit for directing her, but like, you know, I didn't have to do much. Like she's, she's such a little superhero. Where, it's it's crazy. Uh, where did you fall on? Like, I know one of the debates and it's a good debate because, because when something's good, it creates this debate, but with both your film and predator prey, they were both so good and such big swings that maybe don't fit quite as cleanly in the films that have been going theatrical. So did you, did you know from the very start, this was being made yeah. for Hulu, right? So it's a big swing. So it is. It shows Hulu over theatrical actually. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, speak about that a bit because like, I can see why, because both these films are really original and really deliver, but then mm-hmm. the flip side is you would like to see them on a big screen because they're big screen type movies. Like this is a, this is a very big screen cinematic film. Oh, good. I'm glad, I'm glad it feels that way. We worked really hard. Maybe you just need to make a film print. Make one film print and we'll tour it or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it was... Um, cause I'm trying to remember if Prey... I don't think I'd seen Prey when we set it up, too. Mm. Um, like, I, I know Dan. I remember seeing seeing the movie. I you know I think I had set Nowsy up before I had seen Prey. So we didn't really know what that 20th thing was going to be or, or look like at that moment um but i really like the people there um which was is key for me and then also i knew it was going to test i knew the testing process would be a real bitch um and i didn't i i just thought if it was at a theatrical studio you're instantly going to get into conversations when people don't understand things about voiceover about reshoots about you know we there's pretty divisive stuff in the movie that i really wanted to to keep um i remember i I think we had an offer from a a big studio that was like we'll make it but you have to change this and i was like "Mm, nah Hmm. um and then and then 20th and hulu i think the streaming ability of it uh was that i don't have to i obviously they wanted to test as well as it as it can um but it, it wasn't um you know I, they, they didn't spend 50 million dollars marketing this movie like you have to for a theatrical release yeah. and um it could be i mean i think we've all been actually surprised that it's not as divisive as we thought it would wind up being um uh, but it just felt like I liked the people I trusted JR, my exec and, and Steve, the head of the studio. Um, and, and for good reason, like they kept their word the whole time. Um, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to run like the movie might be shit, but they're going to let me take the swing. Like they're not going to like halfway into the game be like, let's, let's, all right, let's bring in some reshoots where Caitlin has like a dog that she explains everything to or 
or whatever. So it was really, I think, not have. And I think if it had a theatrical component or like a wide release component, like I just don't think that would have been the case. Like, it would have been a much different movie. Like, yeah, it I, been I do, much I do different. think so. Um, it would have been hard to take something without a speaking protagonist to a mall near you. I could already hear the studio notes. Your dog yeah, note yeah, is not far not, off. Like, I know. I know. I'm really excited for John Woo's silent movie, mm-hmm. but I'm also like, yes, yeah, Joel Kinnaman shooting dudes in the face. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I don't need talking to get that. It's just like my son's dead. I'm going to fucking kill you. Like, got it. Great. All in. And this is a little bit more complicated. Um, like, it's like there's multiple mysteries whether or not she's doing the right thing is is questionable sometimes like it was it just felt like there were so many of those things that i was not if i went theatrical i was just like i and just you know having produced and made movies theatrically um just being like oh i'm fucked <laughs> i'd be fucked and then part of it too was there's other streamers that were interested in it and they wanted dialogue because they were like, no one's going to pay attention because they're typically doing laundry or on their phones and they would just miss story points. And then that kind of just became like a challenge that I was like, well, let's figure out a way that they don't do laundry <laughs> watching the movie. And it's been, I, for me, it's been really cool whether, you know, how successful it is is up to other people, but it has been really neat seeing people like really talk about the production design, doing a lot of, narrative work and and stuff like that because it's like yeah it does require you to pay attention a little bit more than things that just are like non-stop exposition because they don't think you're looking at the screen like i just saw a streaming movie that well i won't name but they just have like a a device where like they just give you updates on what's happening the action scene like every five seconds and it's just so you don't have to watch it can just be like the second screen experience and i was just like well fuck that like let's you know people might get bored and turn it off but i'd rather that than them doing laundry and all that shit so yeah i mean if the trade-off is we get original feeling films then it's a good trade-off i think you know mm-hmm. because yeah, like, that's what I, we I want love, you know i love prey and i know every and it's like you know ever like after my movie and after prey it was like this would have been a hit in theater and i'm not convinced like, I think in hindsight, you're like, I bet if Prey 2 went theatrically, I bet it would fucking crush. But if you're talking about, you're trying to convince audiences to go see the silent movie or to go see, you know, the Native American movie without any movie stars fighting a predator after the last predator didn't yeah. do well at all. Like, yeah. I'm just kind of like, I think the, the, the coolest thing about 20th is that they are a little unencumbered with some of those demands. And so they can make, you know, like Dan didn't have to cast, you know, I don't know, like he didn't have to cast Tom Hanks as one of the French trappers in the movie to like get, get it made kind of thing. Like he could, he could make his movie fucking cool. Yeah. Like Hanks would have been great, but it's like, he didn't have those pressures and he could make a cool movie. And I think it's like such a great popcorn movie too but like it would have sucked if it like opened at like 15 million dollars no i think the i think the business yeah. arguments completely 
Right. I think it's more just yeah. that they are both films that you would also also like to see on a big screen, a- almost after you've seen it once, because you're like, yeah. okay, no, yeah. this is a big that's screen, great. fun yeah. experience. And maybe that's a new model coming out, like down the road. There's no yeah. reason why they couldn't uh, come up with limited models. Like and that. I do think we're getting there because, I mean, like previously for the past couple of years post pandemic, it has, if it's gone theatrical, it's been a big IP. It's been Exorcist. It's been, yeah. you know, something massive that they know that Meg too. Like it's been something that yeah. they know that they could bank a hundred million minimum with, but we have seen the terrifier too. satanic Hispanics just ran theatrical. Yeah. Um, I, I review one at the top of the show called Malibu horror story that I know is doing a theatrical. Like we're seeing awesome. smaller films kind of take this theatrical route, which I applaud like skin of a rink. I mean, like it's just, yeah. I hope we are getting more indies in the theaters because it's cool. If I can go see the new saw film, but I want to see, you know, as much as possible in the theaters, of course. Yeah. No, I I, I got into like an argument with someone at the Q&A for Collider because they were like really upset that it wasn't going theatrical. And I was just like, it wouldn't have, like, if I made it for a theatrical company, I think they would have demoted it to a streamer. Like, mm. just like, it, it just wouldn't have gone well. Mm-hmm. Um and you would have had to it's cast it differently. Yeah. Yeah. It would have had to be yeah, casted differently. Been, just, yeah. The whole thing would have been different. Um, and I just think that's so, I think, and I remember like Netflix, you know, back in the day when they were doing like Sense8 and like the OA, you were like, oh, these guys don't have the pressure. So they're doing like the coolest shit. And it was so exciting. Cause like when I remember seeing the OA, cause my wife worked on it. And just being like, I've never seen anything like this. And that's mm-hmm. the most exciting part of, streaming yeah uh, that they actually got to go do this and i don't think my movie's as bold as 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 the oa but i mean i think for me that was always the dream of of streaming was it was like take swings and like they're not all like every movie doesn't have to be for everybody yeah that was really exciting because testing and and network tv and all these things like it does have to be for everybody um and like the cinema score world and it was just like yeah getting to make things that are like some people's favorite movie, but a lot of people are just like, eh. Like, I, I feel like the OA is always that example. It's like Netflix has canceled so many things, but the only one that got protests, like, was the OA. And they had hundreds of people show up, you know, and it's just like, I want I want to make that as opposed to like a bunch of people being like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, I think you can only be someone's favorite movie if you do things that will make it a movie that somebody else doesn't like. I think those mm-hmm. those ones that are for everybody, I don't think it can ever be someone's favorite. Like every, you get like a Spielberg every now and again, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, where it's just like, yeah, I mean, Jaws is everyone's favorite movie. Um, I, I think, you know, we can agree uh, Barbie's awesome, but part of what yeah. fueled a lot of the Barbie was that there was this other side of people saying, oh my God, this is, you know, horrible. And yeah, it was that yeah. you have something to fight against. Because it has to be original. Yeah, misogyny. Yeah. And it has to have some sort of originality <laughs> and voice. And, and and when you have voice. Yeah, I mean, Barbie is crazy. Yeah. 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 No. I mean, it, it is like a great popcorn movie, but they also are doing, there are so many swings in, in Barbie that you could probably only do if you had Margot as Bobby as Barbie and you had Gosling as Ken yeah. and you had Gerwig coming off of two Oscar winning movies. Yeah. And like, it's like so many things have to go right to get to a Barbie or an Oppenheimer. Um, and like 10 people saw my first movie. <laughs> so I, I wasn't there. I think we saw it a couple of times. So we count. And yeah, we did. 10. We, yeah, we, we saw it multiple committed. times. <laughs> 
But um, before we lose you, can you hit us with a couple of your favorite alien movies, ones that you were watching as comps for this deep cut alien films that you love, anything like that? And I know I watched, and I can yeah, definitely I watched, throw a few out. Yeah, I watch things to avoid. Like, so like Fire in the Sky, mostly because I was like, I don't want to go near that language in terms mm-hmm. of that ship and like just how extreme that movie gets. Um, that was like a big one like I, f- I find that i don't really watch things to get inspired i kind of watch things to like consciously avoid um so were there ones like, there from when you're younger though that like were imprinted on you i mean signs was huge yeah for that me. Makes sense. I, you know i i'm from philly and then i was like the perfect age for Shyamalan, where you're <laughs> just like this young guy coming out and telling twilight zone style movies and then everyone love them and they were hits but they were also so specifically him um mm-hmm. i mean i was i was on board immediately from six cents and unbreakable and then i remember seeing signs and just being like that's everything i want in a movie is signs and then being so excited for when it, it came out and then loving it when it came out and there's a lot of signs in in this um but signs was like a really big one for me as as a young guy I'm trying to think of what oh uh, i mean this this billboard ones obviously like war of the worlds is also like a really big hmm. movie um for me um and i think i aaron and morton and my dp and i talk about war of the worlds a lot because that pov with cruise is so specific um and we talked about it actually more on spontaneous than on on this one um uh like the the scene where they're all running from the school in spontaneous we talk about war of the worlds like every day um and just being like tom cruise like he's the movie star but like that movie war of the worlds really works because you are so fixed like it's like he's wearing a gopro basically and you're just like wherever he goes like we go like i don't know if he's ever not on screen um in a way that like a lot of alien movies you do like you get like the big far away shots or whatever but like it's very specifically his point of view in that movie so that was like a really big thing about like okay let's even make that more extreme and instead of putting a character like in a town like what if she is the whole point is that she's alone and then everything is from her point of view so this spielberg's war of the worlds was like a really big one um and then i i never seen it until prepping this but the mcpherson tapes um i've heard of that i never watched that one it's so cool it's like um like way before Blair Witch and um, a buddy of mine was like, cause I, like the whole impetus for this was like, it's like five minutes in an alien walks into her house. And I think might've been Evan Katz. I'm trying to remember who it was, but they were like, well, that's like, you know, McPherson tapes. And I was like, Oh fuck, someone took my idea. And that that's the last scene of McPherson tapes. Hmm. Um, but it was, it was like just the, the vibe of like a family's like sitting around and then an alien just like walks in the front <laughs> door um and it's a real uh thrill um even though it's like it's like dudes in costumes and stuff like it's like a five dollar movie but it it really is a a really cool you know just uh early early thing like that and then and then it's not technically a movie but like the old alien autopsy footage Mm. like oh yeah viruses and shit 
That shit I, was huge. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was probably six, maybe five when that played on television. Yeah. And I remember my parents watching it and I thought it was real. Like yeah, I yeah, thought, because it was made and premiered that way of like, we have a secret alien autopsy footage. And I remember watching it like, this is the most honest to God thing ever. And did you guys and watch the gray. alien autopsy last night? Yeah. And it's a great, it's so scary. Yeah. Like it really is like the way they do the eye stuff with it. It's like so scary. And then I think whenever people were like, the grays aren't scary. I was like, oh, I saw a dead one on TV and it scared the shit out of me. So I think something's just getting lost in translation. Yeah. Or like that was like a big, I was just like, remember how you felt when you were a kid and you saw the alien autopsy footage on E-Bombs world or whatever. Yeah. Um, oh, and the times we are now, right? Like, because we're in this time where people are really yeah. debating in Congress and places the, the realities of yeah. these existing. I don't, I don't buy the Mexican mummy babies for a second. I, I want to, though. I want to believe that. I just, I was so... <laughs> they look so good. I, I was like, if these, if, if these motherfuckers thought they were real, they would be like, if, they were, if anyone thought they were real, they would be the most valuable thing on planet Earth. Yeah. And then they're just like picking them up by their waists and like, you know, waving them around. And I'm like, they, these would be like in so many glass cases. You wouldn't be able to touch them. Like, you don't think these are real. Come on. Um, really, autopsy footage. That was like a huge. I remember being like, I sending it to people and being like, this is genuinely upsetting and creepy. What if it was alive? <laughs> like that was like my thing. Where it's like, we don't have to create a new alien because no one's just doing this guy like yeah very scary and there's a couple there's like a great um video like one of those things and it's like it's probably like a puppet or something but it's like a black it's like a nest cam and it's like this like alien like flip-flopping around in the yard and it makes like a very like kind of like slappy sound when it walks and i was like that was like a huge part of like it for me where i was like yeah it should not try to be quiet like i was mm. the first time i was like yeah why would they fucking be quiet like he should yeah. just be making noise and then he can choose to be quiet but like other than that he's just be like i traveled 20 billion light years to get here like i'm not scared of a 20 year old girl <laughs> so <laughs> which is his downfall but yeah elric favorite alien films any uh, well yes but i think the one that in the last like decade a friend of mine showed me and I hadn't seen it, which is speaking of Blair, which Eduardo Sanchez's altered was one that just wasn't. I need to see that too. It wasn't. I think you would love it because it is also a home yeah. invasion film kind of it, it. Well, in a weird way. So it's like they, these guys have had one of their friends disappear in the past. We don't, this isn't a backstory. One of their friends disappeared aliens. They saw an aliens take the, their friend. So they're pissed. So they've basically been tr- waiting and trolling for like a decade to catch an alien and they catch one of these guys take it home and they're going to torture it that's all the all they've thought out is that's what they're going to do and what they don't realize is it has some sort of home homing beacon inside it that when they start operating it's basically communicating for others and it then it becomes this crazy very small but for me it's so fun it's weird because it's uh sanchez it actually has more in common with like something that feels bigger than the frame it's in it doesn't feel it's not at all found but yeah it's real and it's funny it's almost rainy-ish weirdly enough which i wasn't expecting from him it's it's a really fun when did that come out? um i think it was pretty much uh maybe two movies 2006 it was 2006 yeah so, oh, okay but i missed it completely until the yeah. last few years i feel like yeah he's one of those guys where 
I yeah, I'm always like, where did it happen to him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. And yeah, he's like, a he's good, good filmmaker, and it's I'm, really fun. I'm a huge. I love Blair Witch. Yeah, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I do. I don't. Uh, I don't stand by any slander. Like I think that movie is a miracle. Yeah, yeah. No, it holds yeah. up. Surprise! You kind of surprised the oh, way it holds so up. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a favorite. I don't um, remember to do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was one from 2020 that was definitely not exactly meant to be scary, but I loved it. Save yourselves. If it's it's another oh, movie, I haven't seen that one either. It's yeah. so fun. It's the characters. It is this. I remember because it came out around the same time as Spontaneous. Yeah, and I was like, I can't watch things. No, it was. It's yeah, just, so, I, so good. To the point that right afterwards, I heard that they were going to turn it into a TV series. And I don't know if that ever happened or is still in the works, but it oh, was cool. just the aliens. Are, watch it. Yeah. They're not meant to be scary. They're meant to be kind they of absurdist. Like they look kind of things, right? Yeah. They look like that's part of the joke is they look like throw pillows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, but they're, it's such a good character project. So that one's cool. a really tight one. Um, another one from 2020 that I love, there's a Russian film called Sputnik that was probably in my top five from that year that I thought was really tight. I keep waiting for somebody to do an American remake of that. It's still there. It needs to be done. Grabbers was another one from 2012, which I have proselytized on the show. Like, crazy. Oh yeah. Irish film um, yeah. about the island where they have to stay drunk uh, because the alien, it they can't right. be detected if they're drunk. Um, I loved. And then I'll also mention another one from 2020. This one's real psychological called Block Island Sound. This is like a super small one. I, I, heard that one I would have been more like I the saw... A24 indie film model, but it's really, it's a smart movie. Yeah. It's it's a smart. Oh, cool. yeah, Block it was... Island Sound. Really tiny, um, about a boat, a fishing boat. Fishing and, village, yeah, uh, I think. Yeah, like a small fishing village. And two, if I remember correctly, it's been three years, but they were brothers. Um, And one of them started seeing stuff out on the water and then started having kind of these psychological effects from it. And it, yeah, it's just a really Much more subtle one, yeah. little indie psychological alien film. So there we go. Well, there, there was a great one that just came out a few months ago too. The Aust- was, was it Australian? Was it Outback? Not Outback. Um, it's like found footage. Ooh, now oh, now you need. Fuck, what's it called? It, there was. It was really cool. I'll remember. And I'll- I have to know this. I now. think it's called also- Aussie Alien Autopsy. No, <laughs> or Outer Wilds or something. It was. Oh uh, no! Oh, oh, I, are, you, are you talking about the one from this year? That's kind of like found footagey. He's talking. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about the one in the desert, not Australia. Uh, the one from this year, the Outwaters. Outwaters. Outwaters yeah. with the really intense yes. pulsating like imagery yeah, and sound. Like yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. worms. Yeah, no. yeah. That was that was, when that yeah. movie's hitting, it's it's really hitting. Like that's one of those yeah. movies where it's like at at yeah. times you're meandering, and then when you're folk when it's on, it's really hitting. Oh man, yeah, I thought that was. Vast of Night was another one from a couple yeah. of years ago that I loved. Uh-huh. I just yeah. thought that was the character so something else yet? No, I, I literally was thinking about that today. I was literally walking yeah. down the street going, I wonder why he isn't. He's probably working on a much bigger thing and that just hasn't been come out yet, you know? Yeah, he probably got eaten by Marvel or something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But the it's characters are so one. good in that. It's just such a good look. Oh yeah, it's it's great. And like, yeah, there's some really fun show off filmmaking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially for a first personal. Oh yeah. It's just I couldn't do that shit. Yeah. So um, before we lose you, kind of, can you talk about anything that's coming up? Did I see that you're producing a Samara weaving project right now? Can you talk about that? Oh, one? yeah, I did do that. Um, <laughs> I was, like, um, on IMDb I, Pro, it says it's in post-production. So, I've seen um, the movie. Yeah, no, that was, um, yeah, we, we premiered at TIFF. 
Oh, uh, that's awesome. Congrats. Yeah, so it's uh it's not up. I mean, it's I guess it's upcoming when it gets released. Um, but yeah, that was uh Jimmy Warden who uh wrote Cocaine Bear, um, that I, I produced. It he wrote and directed that with Samara, who is his wife, uh, which they met on the babysitter. Um uh so we've all been homies for since you know since that movie um and then yeah he did a a great little um home invasion about a pop star played by sam who has a fan break out of a mental institution because he thinks they're getting married Mm -hmm. um and uh it's really it's really fun it's so jimmy um uh so it's not a thriller it's I don't know what it is, but it's really fun. It's really cool. Uh, it's called Borderline. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully that'll come out at some point in the future. Yeah. And you don't have to make anything else because you've now done underwater on land and space. So I think you can retire. I think you're good. You're, you're, I'm good, dude. You gonna... covered it. Yeah, man. Yeah, I um... don't know where else you can go. Where, where would you want to go? Where is a place you haven't set a film that you'd be excited to go? Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Volcano. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I'm very, uh, I'm open and I'm reading and uh, I would, I would love to do, I'll tell you, I'd love to do like a full, like Jim Henson-y style Ooh. shit show. Mm. <laughs> that would be really uh, something I've been working on with some pals and, and wanting to do. Uh, but that stuff's, you know, it's always the joke of it's it's that it's so much more expensive than mm. CG, and so it is to go for. It. And then I really I hate like when you see like animatronics get like CG paint on top. Um, it's just always like my nightmare. Um, and so, but I'd love to do like a a good a good puppety animatronic thing. But I don't I don't know. I love that. Would this be horror or would this be more like kids Muppets? Uh, neither. Ooh, it would be like a like labyrinth for adults. Love it. Okay, <laughs> so less okay. R rated labyrinth, less sex thriller like Meet the Feebles and more in that. But <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know what it, it would. It's like it's very uh unique and romantic. It's like a puppet love story with I don't know. I'm doing a bad. I'm trying not to pitch it. Is that's okay. Puppet love story. We'll, we'll right. take the, the, the puppet. It's with people. The people are in love and then there's just a lot of puppets around them. But, Great. but yeah, I'm, I've been working on that with my buddies at Lord Miller. Um, uh, so we'll see if we get to nice. go do that. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank Everyone, you. please go watch. No one will save you now streaming on Hulu. It is absolutely awesome. And thank hopefully we'll see you again for your next project. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Please check us out on our Patreon show, Deep Cuts, where you can listen to us talk about really weird films that don't make this show, as well as get cheat sheets, where we talk about some lists about our favorite films and other titles. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks, and we're coming up on Halloween, so we've got some pretty cool stuff coming
The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 